You're listening to the Forefront Church Podcast in New York City, where our vision is to see lives, neighborhoods, and our city renewed through Jesus. I'm really tired. I'm exhausted. I'm not exhausted for the reason you think I am, although that's really true. I'm exhausted for this retreat thing that we just did. I'll tell you why I also am exhausted. I'm like, I'm like, life exhausted. I'm going to tell you why I'm life exhausted. Um, Because I have an incessant need to please people. I'm exhausted for that reason. An incessant need to like, um, to make people happy all the time. And it's not because of this job. It could be for any reason. Like I could work anywhere. I could work, I don't know, I could work at like Domino's or something and still have this need to please everybody. Like I, I, it's, it's tiring. It's exhausting. So what do I do? Uh, I overschedule myself. I bet you there are a couple of you in this room who have been the victim of my overscheduling. Um, I uh, start new programs and do new things to make sure that people can connect to one another because I want everybody to be happy and connected. Uh, and I take my staff along with me, so I drag them along and I make them do all the things that I'm doing. Uh, and it's exhausting. It's exhausting. You want to know why I do that stuff? I'm going to tell you why. <clears throat> and this is sort of like a, a big confession for me. I do it because I'm afraid of failing. I'm afraid of failure. So like, I have to make everybody happy because I'm afraid otherwise I'm gonna fail. That's what I end up doing. I'm afraid that uh, if I don't make everybody happy then I'm gonna end up living in my in-laws basement with my wife and two kids. That's what I feel like is gonna happen to me if I don't make everybody happy. And I know that's not logical and I know it doesn't make a ton of sense, but this is the narrative that plays in my head. This is the story that plays in my head over and over and over again. You know why I confess that to you? Because I'm not alone. I know you all feel the same way. And maybe you don't feel the same way in the sense of, um, oh, I have to make everybody happy, but I know that you have a narrative. You have a story that you play over and over in your head. I know you do. And I know it's a story that makes you anxious, and I know it's a story that, that, that keeps you from feeling like you're free. I know sometimes it can be a story that makes you feel like you can't be human. I know that we all have that story. We all have that narrative. So what is it? What's yours? What's your story? What's your narrative? Um, New York City. How many people are native New Yorkers here? So many more than normal. That's good. This place is all about success and productivity. You know that. We know that, right? It's all about that. You're only as good as your last investment. You're only as good as your last pitch. You're only as good as your last project. You're only as good as your last test score. You're only as good as the last person that you motivated. You're only as good as your last audition, and you have to keep going, and you go, and you go, and that is your narrative. That is your story. You're moving constantly. You're anxious because of it. It stops you from being free. Sometimes that stops you from being human. Maybe that's your story. Maybe that's your narrative. Maybe uh, your story or your narrative uh, is one that many of us have. It's the marketplace. Do you know that we're just two miles away from the center of the financial world? It's called Wall Street. There's a bull right there. People take pictures of it. It's nice. Um, And we're two miles away from the center of that. And that is a huge narrative. That tells us that we need to accumulate and acquire. And it tells us that that money is what matters more than anything else. And we might say we don't believe that. We might say that's not true of us. But here's the thing. The thing is this, that that we need money to live. You got to have it, right? And so we, we, we... think about this and and we have anxiety over it and there's no freedom in it and if we don't have enough we're going to have to move somewhere else and we don't know what to do and so that's our narrative that's our story that keeps us in anxiety it keeps us from being free keeps us from being human sicknesses relationships 
How many artists are out here? Where are my artists? When I say artist, there's a lot of different things that make you an artist. Everybody should raise their hand just now. I don't know why you didn't. <laughs> yeah, my artists. We make incredible stuff. We make amazing things. I, like, I'm incredibly impressed by what everyone makes. I mean, I'm incredibly impressed by the way people sing and the way people write. I'm incredibly impressed by the apps that I see and the websites and all of the design that I see taking place and the acting and everything. It's incredible, but I think for my artists, artists, tell me if I'm wrong, but I think there's this narrative that says, I gotta rise above the rest. I gotta do better than the thousands, maybe even millions of others that are doing the same thing I'm doing. And on our best days, that keeps us grinding. And on our worst days, that makes us feel paralyzed, makes us feel anxious, makes us feel less than human, makes us feel like we're not free. What's your narrative? What's your narrative? What's the thing that creates that anxiety in you? What's that story that you tell yourself? Is it running from failure? What is it? What's the thing? What, what, what does that feel like? Um, and maybe it's not something I said, but, but I think you know. I think you know what it is. So here's my question for you. When was the last time that story, that narrative, when was the last time that narrative allowed you to stop and rest? When was the last time that narrative gave you peace? When was the last time? When was the last time that narrative allowed you to commune with God? When was the last time? I know for me, my needing to make everybody happy and, and all that and my anxiety and everything else, I don't rest. My mind is constantly moving. I'm not communing with God. The second I try to commune with God, I'm like, dear Heavenly Father, oh my gosh, I don't have any money. And oh, I gotta pay the bills. And then I forget about praying altogether. Like, I, I think this is what we do, right? We tell ourselves a story narrative. And here's the thing, our narrative, our story, you know what our story is? Our story becomes our God. Becomes this God we worship. So all of a sudden, these relationships that give us the anxiety and the worry and, and keep us from being human, they become our God. And, and the narrative we tell ourselves about uh, uh, pleasing other people, that becomes our God. And, and the artist narrative becomes our God. And the finance narrative becomes our God. And all of a sudden, we're worshiping these other gods. And these other gods do not allow us to rest. They don't allow us to stop these gods. They're literally and figuratively killing us. They're killing us. Anybody resonate with this? So all right, rhythm series. We're in the last two weeks. This is gonna be part one of a part two series. We're gonna talk about uh, uh, putting rest into action, believe it or not. I know that sounds, that's like, is that ironic? What is that? That's a paradox. That's something. Rest into action. But this week, we're gonna talk about rest. Next week, we're gonna put rest into action. Uh, so we're creating this rhythm of rest, okay? That's what we wanna do today. We wanna reclaim rest for ourselves. We wanna stop worshiping these other gods, and we wanna worship the God who can do exceedingly and abundantly more than we ask or imagine, that God, right? That's the God we wanna worship. And so how do we go about doing that? Well, we go about doing that by going all the way back to the Genesis story. Let's go back there, okay? And, and let's go back, and, and how many people know the Genesis story? How many people know the story at the beginning? The Genesis 1, okay, most people do. All right, so Genesis 1, and I asked that because I forgot to make slides of it, so I'm glad you all know it. <laughs> Genesis 1, what you end up having is you end up having... Um, uh, this God, and this God is incredible, and this God is creating, right? This God's creating heavens, this God's creating earth, and all of this stuff that God is creating, God is creating for God's glory, so it reflects God's glory, it, it reflects God's perfect kingdom, and God creates all this, and there is no way that God is done. God is not done creating. God's not done moving. God's not done fulfilling. God's not done fulfilling us or creating us or moving in us, and yet even though this God is not done, 
Okay, even though this God is not done, this God says that on the seventh day, God rests. Now, frankly, I could care less how many days God did this in. That's not even the point of all this, okay? The point of all this is that there's a God who says, the work is always there. My kingdom coming is always there. We're always going to have these other stories and other narratives, but guess what I do? I stop in the middle of that and I rest. And your rest is what makes you someone who reflects my glory. Your rest is what makes you reflect me and my perfect kingdom. Your, fr- your rest is what makes you a human being. That's what makes you human, rest. It's what stops you, it's what uh, keeps you from being different, or it's what makes you different from uh, you know, the animals that toil in the fields all day. It's what makes you different from plants that are constantly producing you know, food from sunlight through photosynthesis you know, synthesis or whatever else. You are different than those things because you have the ability to rest, and that is how you reflect the glory of God. That is how it works. What ends up happening? What ends up happening? Well, you end up getting these people who are slaves. They're the Israelites. And these Israelites are slaves, and they start calling out to their God, God, we're slaves, we're tired, we we need your help. And this is what the Pharaoh says to them. That same day, the Pharaoh says to the slave drivers and the overseers, you're no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go gather their own straw, but require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They're lazy. That's why they're crying out. Let us go sacrifice to our God. Instead, make them work harder for the people so that they keep working and pay no attention to lies. So what's happening here? Well, you have these people who God says, you know, we're not done with the work, but you are free. And you're free because you're able to rest. And then what happens in that? What happens in that is that they're enslaved. And one of the terrible things about slavery, that there's a million of them, but one of the terrible things about slavery is slavery's objective is to dehumanize. Slavery's objective is to say you're no longer a human being. You're no longer that human being. Slavery's objective is to say now you're just a thing. You're an object. That's what slavery does. One of the most disturbing things I think I read about slavery was something that took place in the 17 and 1800s where corporations, American corporations, were buying slaves, taking away their names, giving them a number, and then literally making them work till death. And then throwing them away and buying another slave, taking away their name and giving them their, a number, making them work to death. Taking away humanity. Taking away humanity and creating an object in somebody. Out of somebody. And what the Pharaoh's saying here is he's saying, you know what? We are taking away their humanity. They're not worth crying out to a God. They don't need a God. They're, they're objects. They're objects uh, to, do, to do work. And what we have is we have a God who says, no, the thing that makes you a human being is your ability to stop. The thing that makes you a human being is your ability to rest. In fact, when the Israelites are freed, when they're freed from slavery, God says, I never want you to, be, to feel like you're not human ever again, okay? And so because of that, I'm gonna give you a Sabbath. I'm gonna give you a day in which you just absolutely rest because I never want you to feel non-human again. And yet here we are, a couple thousand years later, three, four, five thousand years later, right? And I would dare say that metaphorically, we are choosing to gather straw and build bricks way often than we're choosing to commune with God. I would say that, that our narratives, these stories that we live in that define us, that they keep us from being human beings. They keep us from being free. They keep us from reflecting the glory of God. We are creating our own little tyrannical kingdoms that dehumanize us. That's what I would dare say. There's a pastor in New York, his name's Tim Keller, and he says this plainly, and I've said it before and I'll say it again. He says this. He says, anyone who overworks is really a slave. 
Anyone who cannot rest from work is a slave to a need for success, to a materialistic culture, to exploitative employers, to parental expectations, demanding relationships, or to all of the above. You are acting as a slave. Those are incredibly, incredibly difficult words. Those are tough words to hear. They're words that say that our narratives, these other gods are worship, that we worship, that I worship. These gods are taking away our humanity, our freedom, and they're replacing it with anxiety. And frankly, it's time for that to end. How does that end? Well, we live in New York City. This is literally called the city that never sleeps. Like, this is the anti-rest city. Is everybody with me on this one? Everybody's looking a little tired themselves right now. <laughs> you can do it. We can do it. Um, yeah, no, no, this is it, right? So, so I'm, I'm going to use some old evangelical language, some old church language right now. If we're really going to do this, then we have to be countercultural. If we're really going to do this, then we, if we're really Christ followers, and I'm, I'm assuming that if you're in this church, you care about Christ in some way, on some level, or at least are curious. And if that's the case, then we are countercultural to what this city does to us. That means that we need to start creating rhythms that are different than the rest of this city. That's what we have to start doing. But first, before I say that, before I tell us how, I want to give us a word of warning. Okay, and I want to give us a word of warning, and I want to give it to us by looking at uh, uh, something that Jesus did. And it says this. It says, one Sabbath, so one day of rest. Remember I said that God says to the people of Israel, hey, I never want you to, f- to be slaves again. I want you to feel human, so you have to have a day of rest. And so it says, on Sabbath, this day of rest, Jesus was going through the grain fields. And as, as his disciples walked along, they began to pick heads of grain. And the Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? And he answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? And by the way, his companions were a bunch of um, like criminals. It's pretty funny. But anyway, in the day of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for the priest to eat. And then he gave some to his companions, the criminals. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. You see, uh, what we do is, is sometimes we take really, really good things that are intended to make us humans, and we, we like the idea of being countercultural, and we like the idea of create, uh, creating rhythms, and we take really good things and we make them into burdens. Halloween was a couple weeks ago, and the day after Halloween, my daughter was sitting on the couch. You know this feeling. It's that feeling when you don't want to throw up so you don't move. You see, you know what I'm talking about? You're like, you're just sitting there, and you can't really talk or anything either. You know that feeling. And I, I'm looking at my, my daughter, and she's not moving. I go, what's wrong? Sick. <laughs> and I was like, why? And she was like, too much. Because <laughs> the kid ate too much candy. Perfect example. We do this all the time. We take something really, really good, and we make it a burden. And that's what is happening here. These, these Israelites were like, you know what? This is really good. You know, Jesus said he never, or God said he never wants us to be slaves again. He gives us a day of rest so we can be humans and we make it a burden. We turn it into a bunch of rules. And honestly, with this whole rhythm series that we've been doing, you know, we have the potential to say, hey, prayer, church, giving, scripture, rest, work, all of it. You know, it's a checklist and check, check, check. I'm doing it all really well, which means that God really loves me and I'm fulfilling all my potential. And no, no, we create this rhythm because it allows us to thrive and it allows us to commune with God. This rhythm is for us. It's for our enjoyment. It's not so we can make God happy. Anybody in this room that thinks they can make God happy has been misinformed. 
This is for us because God loves us. And so knowing that this rhythm is for us, that God loves us, knowing that the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath, then we can move ahead. Then we can move ahead and create some new rhythms, knowing that these are rhythms for our enjoyment only. They're rhythms that allow us to enjoy life. But first, we got to enact them. And so here's the rhythm I want to create in terms of rest today. This is a review. If you've been a part of this church for like, oh, say 14, 15 months, I'm going to say the same thing that I said 14, 15 months ago. And guess what? If you're a part of this church 14, 15 months from now, I'm going to say the same thing again next year, okay? This resting is so important, and this rhythm of rest is so important that I'll continue to preach on it. And so here it is. It comes from this guy named Peter Scazzaro, who's a pastor in Queens at New Life Church, and he wrote a book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And he talks about, in his book, he talks about uh, how he almost burned out, how he almost just collapsed and was done with ministry altogether and really realized that, that he was losing his humanity, right? He was, he was uh, not uh, you know, feeling the anxiety and the worry and he wasn't feeling free. And so he said, uh, I need to come up with a way to do Sabbath, a way to rest. And this is what he came up with, four words. Stop, rest, delight, and contemplate. Four words, stop, rest, delight, and contemplate. He says that the first thing that you do if you're gonna create a rhythm of Sabbath, right, is to stop. All right, I got a question for you. How many of you, and maybe this is just me, maybe I'm way off, but how many of you, when you sit down to like watch TV or something, feel a little guilty? How many people? All right, a few of us. Okay, how many people, when you sit down to like hang out and you're just sitting there and your friend calls and your friend's like, hey, do you want to go out? You feel a little bit bad that you want to just stay in your pajamas and not go anywhere. How many people feel that way? All right. There's a few of us here who feel guilty about stopping. I'm going to tell you something. Like right now, I, I, I'm, you know, this retreat thing, I, I want to go home and take a nap and I already feel guilty that I'm not going to watch the football game with my friends. Like, it's awful. Like, it's really bad. But, but here's the deal. We struggle to stop. Stopping is the hardest thing for us. Uh, they did this study in the Netherlands, uh, and they took two groups of people, self-described workaholics and self-described people with balanced lives, okay? And they sent them on paid two-week vacations. And what they found is that the self-described workaholics, when they went away on this two-week vacation, we're 40% more likely to have aches and pains, fevers, chills, colds, and everything else. When they stopped, they got sick. You know why? Because their body was so used to moving, moving, going, 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 that your body now runs on stress. Your body is so used to life that it's, it's like a drug. It's like uh, people who are addicted to the heroin who have withdrawals because uh, they're now off of it. That's what this is like. You're, so, you're addicted to busy, and you're so addicted to busy that your body gets sick when it comes off of that. We have to learn to stop first. That's what we have to do. Uh, there's this woman, her name is uh, Judith Shilovitz, and she right now is arguing against what I just said about the rhythms of rest with the Sabbath. This is what she says. She says, most people mistakenly believe that all you have to do to stop working is not work. The inventors of the Sabbath understood that it was a much more complicated undertaking. You can't downshift casually and easily. This is why the Puritan and Jewish Sabbaths were so exactingly intentional. The rules did not exist to torture the faithful. They were meant to communicate the insight that interrupting the ceaseless round of striving requires a surprising, strenuous act of will, one that has to be bolstered by habit as well as social sanction. That's kind of big. But if we're going to have Sabbath, if we're going to reclaim our humanity, if we're going to stop worshiping these gods of our narratives and start communing with our God again, 
That means we stop. So stop. Number two, rest. Rest isn't what it sounds like. Uh, Rest is actually, the best way to define it is clearing your head. Rest is clearing your head, okay? Rest is saying, what do I need to do to clear my head? And so like I told you, the work will never be done. Never. But what are the one or two things that we have to do in order to clear our heads so that we can take some time for ourselves? I was talking to a pastor and this pastor said to me, I went away on a vacation and I didn't rest the entire time because I needed to do two very important things. I had to have an important meeting and I had to have uh, this thing set up and I didn't do either of them. So my entire vacation, I just thought about doing those two things. I didn't rest. And so if we're gonna stop, the second thing we have to do is say, what is it that I need to do in order to clear my head? What are the one or two things I need to get done? That's what rest really looks like. So stop. Secondly, you're going to rest. Thirdly, you are going to delight. Delight is exactly what you think it is. What makes you happy? What do you like to do that makes you happy? You know who's great at delighting? Jen Fisher is great at delighting, everybody. She's really good at it. You know what happens when her and her husband Bobby go on vacation? You never hear from them. They're gone. They're off the grid. Like, you could text them. Like, smoke signals. It doesn't matter. Like, you will not get a hold of them because you know what they do? Um, and I'm, I'm generalizing a little bit, but you know what they do? They go camping, and when they go camping, they just sit in the wilderness and delight. It's true, no? Yeah, it's very true. And you turn off your phone. It's a good thing. And they delight. And like, to me, like, I think maybe I could sit in the wilderness for like a day or so, but like, they love it. It's what makes them happy. It's what brings them energy. How do you, what do you delight in? What, what do you love? What do you love? Recreation, do you love moving? Do you love reading? Do you love going to movies? What do you love? If you're gonna stop and then you're gonna clear your head, do the thing you love to do. That's gonna make you happy. It's gonna bring you energy. God gave you that. Do it. And then finally, I want you to contemplate. When you're contemplative, it means that you are getting rid of those gods, the gods of your narrative, the gods of your story, the gods that bring anxiety, the gods that make you lose your humanity, you're getting rid of those gods and you're in communion with this God, the exceedingly and abundantly more than we could ever ask or imagine God. So next week, what's so special about next week is we're gonna take some time to be in contemplation with that God. It's gonna be amazing and you all have to be there. But the way I wanna end this service is I wanna end this service by us doing a little contemplation exercise right now, okay? I wanna end this service with us Uh, taking to account or making a a decision that today is the day that we start putting rest into practice. Today is the day we stop. Today is the day we clear our heads. Today is the day we delight. And right now what I want you to do is I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to resist falling asleep. Don't fall asleep. Close your eyes though. And I want to contemplate with you for a little bit. So get into a comfortable position. And let's take time to contemplate. Today, are you tired? Are you weary? Are you exhausted? Not exhausted because you did something this weekend, but exhausted because your mind keeps moving. Today, I want you to simply believe that there is a God who brings you rest. There is a God that says the mark of of your humanity is your rest. What story do you tell yourself? Name it. 
Name it. What story do you tell yourself? What anxiety does that story bring you? Name it. Hear these words. Your narrative is a lie. It is a lie. It's not what God intends for any of us. It keeps us in slavery. It keeps us busy. And it kills us literally and figuratively. That narrative, that story, that anxiety is a lie. Those gods you worship, those gods aren't real gods. They are lies. Today, today is your day to start being countercultural. Today is your day to start being revolutionary. Today is your day to find freedom and rest. Today we create a new life, a new narrative with new freedom, with new communion with God, our God, who can do anything beyond all we can ask or imagine. Today, Lord, we pray, we pray that you would bring us back into a place of humanity. Today, Lord, we pray that you would bring us back into a place of rest. Amen.